Good morning and uh, good morning to all of you who are watching this morning's service online. We're in Proverbs. We have been doing a study that I've uh, named my favorite Proverbs. All of them are actually pretty favorite, but we're picking out Proverbs as we go, and today we want to look at uh, Proverbs, particularly Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This, uh, when I was a kid growing up, television was kind of a big thing to me, and I watched as much television as I could. In fact, I liked nothing more than watching television. Um, I would watch television all the time unless there was nothing good to watch. But what was good were cartoons, and that was the sort of thing that uh, we had a lot of back when I was growing up. In the mid-60s, from 1965 to uh, 68, there was a show for kids, primarily for kids, called Lost in Space. Yeah, it was kind of a groaner of a show. I really didn't like to watch it that much, but... As corny as it was, I remember this one thing, because the family that was in outer space, um, they had a, ro a robot, and this family robot was to watch out for Will Robinson, who was the young boy, and there's this episode, actually it's the first season, um, episode 10, and the robot says, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, go, Will Robinson, danger. And so that's what I remember about Lost in Space is that robot saying, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, go, Will Robinson, danger. And that's kind of what this uh, section of the book of Proverbs is about. It's about danger. Uh, Proverbs, starting in Proverbs chapter 5, the very end, the last three verses of chapter 5, verses 21, 22, and 23, it, it warns us about wrongdoing. In fact, it says uh, uh, the wrongdoing that a wrongdoer does is going to snare the wrongdoer. It's, it's going to bind him and entrap the wrongdoer because of the foolishness of the wrongdoer's behavior. Get that? So, in other words, uh, to put it in more churchy language, um, sin is going to ensnare the sinner. Um, the person who acts out of pride and selfishness and arrogance and does just what he or she wants at the cost of other people, that person is going to be ensnared, trapped, because that's a foolish way to live. That's what it's saying. It's dangerous. And then, when we get to chapter 6, we meet three figures, a son, 
A sluggard, you can figure out what a sluggard is just by the way it sounds. A sluggard. And a scoundrel. A son, a sluggard, and a scoundrel. In the first five verses, we have this son who is very naive. That means the, the son doesn't have a lot of instruction. He's not very wise. And he's on the hook because his mouth has gotten him in trouble. And now he's in the power of others because, for example, he made a foolish promise. And he can't keep that promise. And so now he's fallen into the power of another person. And then in verses 6 through 11, we have the sluggard. And the sluggard is in danger. Just as the naive son was in danger of being taken to court, thrown into prison, held in debt. So now the sluggard, he is facing poverty and great want. In other words, deficiency of food and other necessities of life. And so the sluggard is in danger, and it says that poverty and want are going to come upon him, well, like an armed man or like some kind of a warrior. So he kind of thinks uh, nothing's going to happen, but that's coming his way. In fact, it says in verse 11, poverty and want will come. And then the scoundrel in verses 12 through 15 he is facing great calamity. This is a, this is a person, it's an amazing description. Um, he, he, yeah, he tells people untruths. He mistreats people. He just basically does whatever he wants. And it says that calamity, calamity is like disaster, will come upon the scoundrel. So with that as kind of a, an explanation, I want to read it to us, and this is from the English Standard Version, going back to chapter 5 at verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. In other words, the Lord is never taken by surprise. He knows all that's going on. So sometimes we may be baffled, but the Lord is not. He ponders all our paths, that is, a man's paths, a woman's paths, a child's paths. The iniquities or the wrongdoing of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. In the book of Proverbs, Sin is its own punishment. Chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently 
with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And then it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, without having any officer, without having any ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? And here we get an answer. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want or deficiency like an armed man. A worthless person a wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment He will be broken beyond healing. Get wisdom. Get going. (laughs) Get wisdom. Get going. You'll recall in the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, in verse 6, we have a programmatic, that is, it's it's a statement that we should never forget. As we read these Proverbs, we should return in our mind and our heart to this opening statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That occurs four other places in the Old Testament. It occurs in the Psalms. It occurs in Job. It occurs another time in Proverbs. It occurs in a psalm. The beginning of wisdom starts with fear of the Lord. And again, I want to remind you, because fear is such a strong word, and we're so kind of repulsed, or we retreat from the idea of fear. Fear means the priority of the Lord. What you do fear, you give first place in your thoughts. It fills your heart. It takes over your life. Is that not true? Fears are very powerful. Fears exploit us. Fears interrupt us. Fears derail us. We can wake up in the morning looking forward to a happy day. But if some fear gets a hold of us, that day is gone. That day is over. Fear is number one. So it's not the emotion so much 
that this fear represents when it talks about fearing the Lord. It's about orienting your life to the Lord. Seeing all you see, hearing all you hear, saying all you say. Whatever you put your hand to, all of that is done through the filter. Or as if you were pinging off of the Lord. Because if you can't ping off of him, you've strayed too far. If he's out of touch, out of mind, and out of heart. Get wisdom. Well, go to the Lord. Think about the Lord. Consider the Lord. Consult the Lord. Make reference to the Lord. See the issue. Pursue the problem or the goal with the Lord in mind. Get wisdom. Get going. The guy who can't get going, who needs wisdom, is the sluggard. We can all learn from the advice offered the sluggard. All of us. We don't have to be sluggards to learn from the things that are given to benefit and help the sluggard. Those things we can co-op and use too. And there are three things here. Start small. Skip the excuses. And count the costs. Start small, skip the excuses, and count the costs. I can't think of a a thing that we do, a thing that we undertake, a thing that we face that wouldn't benefit from starting small, skipping the excuses, and counting the costs. Of course, starting small in this case means really small. It says, go to the ant. That's small. Ants are very small. Why go to the ant? Well, the ant is a model of wisdom. And that's not just in the Bible. Plato mentions ants. Aristotle mentions ants. Diochristostom mentioned ants. They're proverbial. People in the Mediterranean world adored and even advocated using ants and bees as examples for hard work, industry, cooperation. And here we have an ant. An ant, the remarkable thing is that an ant doesn't need a boss. That's what it says. That that should be circled in red or underlined. Go to the ant. Can you believe it? As industrious, as collaborative, as accomplished as an ant is, the ant doesn't have a boss. The ant doesn't have a master. An ant doesn't need a parent. An ant is a self-starter. No chief, no officer, no ruler. 
That's what caught Aristotle's attention, and it has caught the attention of the wisdom of God. There are two kinds of ants in the Holy Land. One's black and one's brown. But what's interesting is they're both seed feeders. In other words, they feed on grain. They feed on seeds. And there are testimonies to what an army of ants can do to grain that's left on the threshing floor. I mean, it, they describe it as just food moving with legs. They take it to their hole. And we're told here that we should admire the ant because the ant stores food in the summer so it'll have it in the winter. Remember Aesop and his fables? Yeah, the ant and the grasshopper. What did the grasshopper do all summer? <laughs> he danced and fiddled. He had a great time. Summer's vacation time. And he took full advantage of it. But come winter, he's shivering, he's cold, he's out in the snow, and he comes to the ant and he says, help me, I need some food. <laughs> and the ant says, well, I wish you'd thought of that in summer. And that's one of the things that is important here in what is described, counting the costs. We'll get to that in a moment. A sluggard needs a boss. The interesting thing is, um, I don't know, there may be like a, what do you call it, like a self-help group um, for sluggards. I don't know. But most of the time, uh, I, I, people don't, don't say, you know, I'm a sluggard. In fact, uh, we only know sluggards that I know of. I was just thinking about this. How do you know a sluggard? Have you ever met a sluggard? We know sluggards from experience. We know sluggards from what they do. They're unpredictable. Uh, they're always late to school, late to work come up with some really wild excuses. I mean, after a while, I'm not feeling well today, just kind of, <laughs> you know, at family gatherings, uh, they come late, if they come at all. Those are the qualities of a sluggard because a sluggard lacks self-control, and wise people exercise self-control. The most important objective in life for a wise person is to control yourself before you try to control others. But the sluggard lacks self-control. The sluggard is like water running on the loose. In other words, water takes the path of least resistance, and that's the life of a sluggard. Sluggards also, not only do they run like water, they run on feelings. Yeah, feelings. How do I feel? I don't feel like getting up. I don't feel like going to school. I don't feel like going to work. I don't want to do the right thing because I don't feel like it. So in other words, a sluggard is unprincipled. A sluggard doesn't have any rules that the sluggard believes in and lives by. It's so important to have 
principles in your life that you are committed to, not just because the boss gave them to you or the teacher gave them to you or your parents gave them to you. I mean, that works for a while, but eventually if you're going to be an adult, if you're going to be called mature, you have to have principles in your life that you live by, whether anybody's watching or anybody cares. You need to have principles that you believe in, that you live by. And that's where wisdom begins too, deciding what really is important. What am I going to give my life to? What kind of rules am I going to live by? Someone told me once, I don't believe anyone. Those were the most chilling words I've ever heard. I mean that. I don't believe anyone. So who does that person believe? If the person says, I don't believe anyone. Not anyone in this room. Not anyone I meet on the street. Not anyone I hear on television. Anyone I listen to over the radio or podcast or online. Not anyone I read. So who does that person listen to? Why is it so chilling? Because that tells me that that person believes only in himself or herself. There's only one person. They believe what they tell themselves. Is there anyone that can question what you think and what you believe, what you tell yourself? Do you ever stop yourself and say, this is crazy, I don't really believe that. I'm not going to do that just because the crowd said, just because the talking head on television said. How are you going to know it's true? And if you only believe yourself, then what are you telling yourself? And why is it you tell yourself what you tell yourself? Is it true? And if it is true, if you say it's true, do you live by it? If you don't live by it, then that makes me question whether it's true to you. These are important things. These are the things of wisdom that we're talking about. Lessons from the ant without a boss. As I said, she prepares her food in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What does that mean? Okay, get out there. I'm going to be like the ant. I'm going to prepare my food in summer and, uh, yeah, so I'll have something to eat in winter. Well, it's kind of like Ecclesiastes, which is another wisdom writing of the Old Testament. Chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose. Wise people do things at the wise time. And that's important in life. Learn from the ants. Who are the ants in our lives, if you were to think of an aunt or two, not an aunt, 
which we call ants, but I'm talking about an ant, as in go to the ants. Who are the ants in your life that can teach you wisdom? Who are the ants that you admire, that you look up to? Who would you want to be in a foxhole with, is the way some people would put it. Or in a crisis, who would you want at your side? A guy that I worked with uh, for almost 10 years in San Francisco when I was pastoring there. When I was leaving, was moving also to ministry, and so I recommended him to somebody I knew in Stockton. And he knew me personally, the pastor did, Quail Lakes Church there, and he called me up and he said, really, give me the straight dope on Keith. And I said, I would walk through fire with Keith. So who are the people that you would walk through fire with? Who are the ants in your life? I hope you can find some. I hope you follow some. I hope you count on some. That's wise living. That's a good way to get going. Skip the excuses, number two. In verse 10, there are these little excuses that he uses. A little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more rest. I'll be ready then. And sometimes we procrastinate. We just keep putting off little things. Why? Because we just don't feel like it, as I said. We need to beware of excuses. And the sluggard is known for some pretty wild excuses. In Proverbs 22:13, he cries, there's a lion outside. <laughs> you know, like he's got to go outside for work or some responsibility. I can't. There's a lion out there. I, I roll. I'll get murdered in the street. You will find that as you pursue wisdom, fears will diminish in your life. You'll never get rid of all fear because fear is a God-given emotion. It's a warning sign. But a lot of false fears, just like false guilt, with wisdom will shrink and fade in your life as you live leaning more realistically on the Lord. The sluggard, because of fear and because of wild excuses to get out of things, he doesn't finish what he starts. Proverbs 12, 27. He does as little as possible. Proverbs 10, 4. And he is frustrated because he never fulfills his dreams. He's filled with these huge desires, but they're killing him, it says, because he refuses to do any work. So his desires are always unfulfilled. Thinking about exaggerations, the thing about exaggerations uh, excuses is that they are exaggerations and the most important thing in life I would tell you is to think accurately strive to think 
accurately. When you describe it to yourself, be ruthlessly accurate. A lot of fears are stirred up in our lives because of our own exaggerations that we get used to. I can't. When I was in the fifth grade, Mrs. Rowe had a 12-inch ruler, and she would slap our hands when we would say, I can't. She'd whap us. And she'd say, you may, but you can't? No, you, <laughs> that's wrong, she'd say, because we can. Or always, boy, when I was a young married, we fought a lot because I used the word always. Always is pretty wounding, you know. You always do this. You always do that. I'm offended if somebody says, I always do this. I, but wait a minute, I tried that one time, but that didn't count. So always, never, everybody, everybody's doing it. Everybody says it. Nobody, nobody loves me. If you tell yourself things like that, no wonder you're in a, a mess of feelings that just grind you to an emotional halt. So exaggeration is bad. And I was convicted this week because I sent you all a letter and I used an exaggeration. I said to you in the letter, I get exhausted just thinking about it. That was an exaggeration. And I want to apologize for that. I broke my own rule. It's important to be as accurate as you possibly can. You'll think more clearly. You'll feel better when you think better. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 5, 7. And then finally, count the costs. We see that in verse 11 of chapter 6. Jesus says in Luke Chapter 14, verses 28, 29, and 30. He says, if you want to build a tower, first sit down and count the costs and determine, determine whether you have enough to finish. But it's interesting that the Lord doesn't state it. He puts it in a question. He says, who among you does not first count the cost. In other words, Jesus thinks that it's common sense to count the cost. That would be a good thing because common sense means everybody is sensible. And that includes all of us. If we're sensible, we'll consider the outcome of our actions, the results, the consequences. That's counting the costs. If you're going to talk that way, consider the costs. If you're going to tell a lie, consider the costs. All of these actions have an impact. And here in the Proverbs, we're being told, watch out. Watch out. Consequences can be a great motivator, too. 
The consequences of poverty and need will come like a robber and an armed invader. It's been said that the wise do first what fools do last. So, for example, are you, do you turn to the Lord to pray when you're all out of alternatives? When, you, when that's all you've got left to do? When it's the last thing you can do? That's foolish. Counting the costs has to do with being wise and doing it right at the beginning at first. There's an old preacher saying, (laughs) I've been around that long, you preach your own funeral. You preach your own funeral. What they're saying is, is that our actions, our words, our acts of love, however big, however small, All those actions will become the content of the sermons, the content of the eulogies, the content of the testimonies at our funeral. In other words, you don't have to be an old preacher to realize that your life preaches your funeral. Your life lived is basically conducting the kinds of things that people are going to talk about, think about, eulogize about you and me at the end of our life. You know, the remarkable thing about ants is their self-organization. You should get online if you'd like this week and uh, Google ants. Read about ants. It's fascinating the research that has been done in just the last 10 years, even less. It's extraordinary what they can do because they all work together. In fact, that's why Aristotle talked about the ants. He recognized that they didn't have a ruler, an overseer, a boss. They collaborated, they worked together, they were industrious. And Socrates described them himself as, as Plato reports, a social and orderly species. Aristotle likened ants to a political community that organizes for the sake of living well. Of course, Aristotle called humans political animals, the highest register of the bunch. Paul had something to say, but it wasn't about ants, but it was about uh, society, about a species of people. Do you realize that? Paul said quite a bit about it in several of his letters. They weren't ants, and they weren't bees, and they weren't just regular people. They were people that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And he calls this species of people the church. He says they work together. 
Everybody contributes. Nobody is unimportant. Each has a job or more to provide. To provide. Boy, that's a wonderful thing to think about when we think about ourselves starting small skipping excuses and counting the costs, especially as we realize who we are in Christ and what we are when we're together and when we work together. And we can as though we don't even have a boss because we have the Lordship of Christ dwelling in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. From end to end and corner to corner, it speaks to us about the truths and principles that are grounded in who you are, the beauty of your goodness, especially in such intimate terms as we meet in Jesus, your Son. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.